0: This morning we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 for our scripture reading and the text for our morning exhortation. 1 Timothy, the second chapter, beginning at the first verse. Hear this as it is the very word of God. I exhort, therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made For all men, for kings and all that are in high place, that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and gravity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator also between God and men, himself a man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. To be born in its own times, whereunto I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth, I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And thus far, the reading of God's Word. During this month of June, as I trust you are aware, we are taking the opportunity to summarize the Christian message, the entire scope of the biblical teaching. In little brief units, we're trying to find a way to get hold of um, the entire point that the Bible is setting before us. Last week, we looked at one way in which we can summarize that Christian message, a valuable and a useful way of doing so, by saying that the overall message of the Bible is, there's a new king here, and of course, if there's a new king you must choose either to become a rebel against him or submit to him and become a son of God. There's a new king here. This morning I want to use another way, another valuable way, and a useful way to summarize the teaching of the Bible. And it's a morning message. The ransom has been paid. The ransom has been paid. Now most of us, I'm sure, if we've been paying attention, even minimal attention to the news over the last... Uh, five or ten years uh, in America and around the world, are familiar with the concept of a ransom. For example, hostages are taken by a group of terrorists, and they demand something in exchange for the safe return of those people. And what they demand we call a ransom. A kidnapper takes a child and demands a particular price for the release of the child. We call this price of release, the ransom. Now it turns out that the Bible has a lot to say about the concept of ransom, of a price of release in liberation. The Bible makes use of that word ransom to denote a price paid to someone to free that person, to free someone else, to deliver them. We think of prisoners, for instance. But especially, the Bible speaks of the ransom price being paid to set slaves free. The technical word for that is manumission. Not something that we talk about often in the English language of the 20th century, but it was an important concept in the ancient world. The manumission price is the ransom paid that a slave might go free. The ransom is also that which is paid to set a prisoner free. And throughout the Bible we read of this kind of liberation price, the price of release and deliverance, or rescuing someone from an unwanted domination in their life. Now another way in which we put this is we say that a price has been paid to redeem the person, to buy that person back, to pay the amount necessary to clear someone of a debt, to release someone from oppression, to win for that person his or her freedom. And so to redeem someone very simply is to secure their release by the payment of a price. In the Bible, redemption involves deliverance from bondage, bringing restoration to a privilege that has been lost. Through the payment of a ransom price, by someone who has a prior or more fundamental claim to whatever it is that is set free. Now, all four of those elements need to be kept in mind, especially if we're going to understand the richness of this little brief message, Jesus has paid the ransom price. The Bible, when it speaks of a ransom or of redemption, means that bondage has been broken. We've been delivered from bondage of some sort. This has secondly brought a restoration to privilege. This has taken place through the payment of a ransom price. And fourthly, this has been done by someone who had a prior and more fundamental claim to whatever it is that has now been set free. Some Old Testament examples, I think, will help illustrate those four points. The Bible speaks of God's people being redeemed from Egypt, redeemed from Egypt. They were in bondage as literal slaves, to the Egyptians. That bondage was broken, which brought them into the inheritance of God's people. They were constituted a nation at Sinai and God took them to the promised land. And this came through the payment of a ransom price, the Passover blood that was necessary so that the angel of death would pass over them and they could be set free to go into God's inheritance. And it was done by someone who had a prior and more fundamental claim what it was that was set free. It was done by their very Lord himself, who said, you belong to me. I am your God. You are my people. And so there we see the concept of redemption played out in full in the redemption from bondage in Egypt. But you see, the law of God talks about ransoming and redeeming things as well. The same principles can be found in what the law teaches us. In Exodus 13, we read of how a firstborn son can be redeemed for us to Jehovah through the payment of a price. And to understand that, you must remember that when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, your firstborn belongs to me. Since all the other firstborn, by the way, not just of the human, but of cattle and everything else, died when the angel of death came into Egypt, God said, therefore, I have saved you by grace. Your firstborn that is still living belongs to me. All of your firstborn, therefore, should be dedicated to the service of Jehovah all their lives, be it temple service or whatever it may be, that their lives might be their own to choose their vocations and their lifestyle. You will pay a ransom price for your firstborn." The law of God in Exodus 21 speaks of redeeming someone from slavery. The price must be paid to ransom a slave and set that slave free. In Leviticus 25, and especially in Ruth, the fourth chapter, we read of land being redeemed. Because you see, God, when he brought the Israelites into the Promised Land, gave a plot of land for every family to be their possession all their days. Now, you know very well from the fluctuations of the economy Some people um, have good times, some people have bad times economically. And some Israelite families, having come into the land and, and receiving their particular family plot, were not able to keep it. They had to sell it to take care of financial needs. But God, in his gracious provision, had allowed for a kinsman redeemer of the family to come in and buy back the land. And that kinsman redeemer had that As a first option, before anybody else could have that land, someone within the family could purchase that. That could be redeemed by the family later. And if it wasn't done so by the year of Jubilee, it was automatically restored. And so there is a ransoming, a redeeming of land according to the law of God. When someone makes a vow and then finds out that they have spoken rashly, that they're not able to keep the vow or it's going to work just an undue uh, uh, strain on them, law, pride, Viticus 27, for redeeming yourself from your vow. You'll find that you pay a pretty heavy penalty for doing that sort of thing. The Bible tells you don't do that. And so the priest is to assess and to lay a penalty upon you, but you can redeem yourself from that in this way. When someone is victimized or murdered, their blood is shed, the Bible speaks of that blood being redeemed by the kinsman-redeemer of the family, where there is now a debt to be paid because one person has murdered another, the kinsman-redeemer of the victim may go and exact the penalty of the person who was the murderer. And in Ruth 4, verse 14, we even read of people being uh, redeemed from reproach, the bondage that comes because of social reproach that is on uh, Naomi, because she has no heir. And so the Bible, in so many ways, talks about redemption, being set free from bondage through the pain of a price. Okay, with that background, then, we can understand this very simple Jesus Christ has paid the long-awaited ransom for us. That's what the Bible's all about. Jesus has come as our kinsman-redeemer. Jesus has come to pay the price to set us free. The theological expectation of the Old Testament, if you put all the message of the Old Testament together, the bottom line is those who were faithful followers of God in the Old Testament looked forward to the coming of someone who, who would redeem Israel, who would pay the ransom price of deliverance for them. And that's why, if you read Luke's gospel in particular, you see this repeated emphasis upon the ransoming of Israel. At the time of Christ's birth, Zacharias, his uncle, prophesied, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has wrought redemption for his people. The word for redemption there, by the way, means strictly ransoming. He has wrought ransoming for Israel. Some has come to pay the price and set us free. Godly prophetess who served at the temple, when she saw the Christ child, according to Luke, spoke of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, for all those looking for the ransom price of deliverance to be paid. And then after Christ was crucified, do you remember how in Luke 24, the falsely disappointed disciples explained their despair to the Lord, not knowing they were speaking to the Lord, explained their despair by saying, we had hoped that it was he who would ransom Israel. And so the whole message of the Old Testament looks forward to someone who will come to pay the price and set God's people free. Someone who would ransom God's people. The message of the New Testament is precisely that that hope has not been frustrated, that that hope is not baseless, that Jesus Christ has indeed paid the price to set God's people free. I have a a number of passages here that speak of this particular aspect of our salvation. I'd like you, but I'm going to read them in quick succession, then go back and comment on all of them together. In 1 Timothy 2.6, our text for this morning, we read Jesus Christ gave himself a ransom for all. In Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus our Lord himself explained his own ministry with these words, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In Titus 2.14, Paul says, who gave himself for us, that he might ransom us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good works. In Hebrews 9, verse 12, the author says, Nor yet through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered in once for all into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. The word eternal ransoming. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Peter says, You were redeemed. You were ransomed, not with corruptible things, with silver or gold, from your vain manner of life handed down from your fathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb without spot, even the blood of Christ. And Paul, in Romans the third chapter, that wonderful presentation of justification by faith based on the grace of God, we read, Being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption, the word, the buying back by ransom, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. And then one more, Ephesians 1.7, the simplest summary of all, I suppose. We read, in Christ we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Okay, so from beginning to end, Old Testament expectation, New Testament fulfillment, from beginning to end, the Bible teaches us Christ has paid the long-awaited ransom price. Well, we have to ask some questions, though, if we're going to understand that. From what have we been set free? What is the bondage referred to when the Bible says Christ has paid the ransom price? Ransom presupposes some captivity. Ransom presupposes bondage. It presupposes slavery. The redemption that has been brought by Jesus Christ is directed toward releasing us from that bondage. And so what is it? To what are we slaves? What is the debt that is over our head? How do we need to be set free? The Word of God teaches that ours is a bondage, very simply put, to sin. A bondage to sin. To sin and its guilt. To sin and its curse. To sin and its power. We are slaves of sin. We have offended God. We have offended God by walking contrary to his character. We are not godly people. We do not serve the glory of God. We are not things. We live unto ourselves. We are often selfish. We are often violent and cruel and malicious and unkind people. We are not at all like our Heavenly Father. We are not beneficent. We are not forgiving. We are not good people. We have walked contrary to his character. We have violated his precepts and statutes, and he finds us guilty. And all those who are guilty before him, since he is an honest and a righteous and holy judge, he must bring under curse. And so the wrath and the curse of God rest upon us because we have walked contrary to his holy character. Our sin, therefore, establishes a debt to God. For there's a penalty that we now owe him, and the penal sanction of the law will be and must be exacted, and that penalty is death. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says that those who live contrary to the source of life must forfeit their life. God is our creator. God is the source of all good, God is our sustainer. He gives us life, and we walk contrary to his character. We cut ourselves off from life, not in some impersonal, mechanical way, but in a very personal, insulting way, in such a way that God says, I can have nothing to do with you. Depart from me into everlasting darkness. And that's why Adam and Eve, when they were created and put in the garden, were told, in the day that you violate God's commandment, you shall surely die. That's why, at the end of the Bible, we read of the final day of judgment where God cast people from him into the second death, eternal death, matching that spiritual death with which we are all born because of the sin of Adam and Eve. The Bible says, we therefore owe a debt to God. We are guilty and we're under his curse. But it's more than that. I mean, that's bad enough. That's terrible news right there. But the Bible has more to say. It says we're also under the power of sin, not just its guilt. But we're under sin's power as though we are captives of Satan. We are born sons and daughters of disobedience. We are children of wrath. And there's nothing we can do for ourselves. Jesus said, all who sin are slaves of sin. Sin holds us in its clutches. We can't do anything good for ourselves. It's such a depressing but true message from God when he says, there is nothing in you that commends you to me and there's nothing you can do to win my commendation. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Any who have broken his law in the slightest degree have broken it in its entirety and all are under his wrath and curse. And so there you have it. What is the bondage? It's the bondage that we have because we owe a debt to God because of the curse upon sin. And it's a bondage because there's nothing we can do to bring ourselves out of this. We are captives to disobedience and to Satan. Spiritually, there is no hope for us. The biblical message is that Christ has set you free. (laughs) Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty we're free at last. That's the message of the Bible, very simply put. Christ paid the price. The ransom has been paid. You're not a captive anymore. The debt's been paid to God. And the captivity to Satan has been broken because Christ died upon the cross. Christ paid the price necessary to set you free. Just notice what the Bible says we've been set free from. It's very interesting. Hebrews 9.15 says we've been set free from transgressions. In Romans 3.25, we've been set free from our sins. Titus 2.14 says we've been set free from all iniquity. And Galatians 3.13 says the curse of the law has been lifted off of us. Thank God I am free. I don't owe the debt anymore. The penalty's been paid. It no longer threatens me. I'm out from under it. My record has been cleared. But the Bible says more. It says we've also been redeemed from our vain lifestyle. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. That lifestyle that is futile because it's sold under sin, futile because it cannot glorify God and do those things pleasing to Him. I've been set free from that. In Galatians 1.4, we read that we've been redeemed from this present evil world. We no longer belong to this world and its ways. We are no longer the captives of sin, of Satan, and the world. But we've been liberated into the glorious liberty of the sons and daughters of God. And so, what is it from which we've been set free? Sin. Sin and its guilt and its curse and its bondage. And what was the ransom price? What was the amount that had to be paid? You see, this is a very, um, very tender part of the Bible. What's the price for sin? The wages of sin is death. And the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And therefore, it should not surprise you that the price that must be paid is the price of one's life. Nothing less. A holy God is just playing with sin if he would accept any price less than that. And so in Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give himself a ransom. To give himself. Jesus didn't come and say, Now, how big a check must I write? Jesus came and said, I'll give myself over. In Romans three, twenty-five and Ephesians one, seven. In Colossians 1.14, and Hebrews 9, and in 1 Peter 1, we read that it was by the price of Christ's own blood. Indeed, Peter makes a point, he says, it's not with corruptible things like silver and gold. No, it's not the manumission that you understand, terms, where a price might secure the, the freedom of a slave, But rather, there was only one price good enough, one price intense enough, one price acceptable enough to satisfy the justice of God and set you free, and that was a blood price. It's blood atonement, you see. In fact, Hebrews makes the point that it wouldn't even be good enough to have the blood of bulls and goats to enter into the holy place and to set before God, but Jesus entered in once for all and he laid down his own life that his own blood might be shed that he himself might become the ransom price for his people. To who was that price paid? Well, interestingly, the early church, you look at the writings of Origen and others, the early church speculated that the ransom price had been paid to Satan. But that was readily refuted in the Middle Ages by a man named Anselm in his well-known treatise, Why God Became Man. Anselm made it very clear the ransom didn't be paid to Satan because Satan didn't have anything coming to him, but all of the debt was gone. And, of course, the Bible teaches that, too. In Hebrews 9, 12, sacrificially, the ransom price was rendered to God, wasn't it? It was set before God. And that paid off the penalty of sin before him and released the captives from the realm and power of Satan. Well, the early theology of the church was a little confused about this ransom idea. But modern, theolo- modern theologians are not just a little confused, they utterly distort and reject the teaching of God's Word about ransom. Modern theology wants to dissociate itself from the notion of a ransom. They want to reduce redemption to the mere deliverance of a person with no thought of penal satisfaction, with no thought of a payment to God. And the reason for that, very simply put, is that modern theology does not want to deal with the wrath of God. Modern theology does not want to believe in a God that is holy and that will call us into account, a God who is the eternal judge and who demands satisfaction of his justice because we have offended him. That you see is offending modern theologians. And since they don't want to think of the wrath of God, they don't want to think of a ransom price having been paid. But you see, there's nothing clearer in God's holy word, if you read it with your eyes open, but that God is angry with sin. And that God, because of his holy perfection, can have nothing to do with sin. And it will eternally be punished from his presence. And so a ransom price does have to be paid. And we thank God, the message of Scripture, it has been paid. And it's been paid in the highest currency, the most valuable currency available, the very blood of God's Son himself. And for whom was that ransom price paid? For whom did Christ pay the price? Well, in 1 Timothy 2.6, we read, he paid a ransom for all. And yet in Matthew 20.28, 20, he says that he has paid a ransom for many. Which is it? Is it for many or for all? The answer is it's both. If you understand what Jesus says and what Paul teaches in context. You see, it is certain that all those for whom the ransom has been paid have been set free from the curse and the power of sin. If the price has been paid, God would be unjust not to recognize it, not to honor it, not to act in terms of it. If the ransom price has been paid for me, I can no longer be a slave of sin and no longer owe the debt of its penalty. If the ransom price has been paid, God cannot exact it of me because he's already exacted it of his son. So all those for whom Christ has paid the ransom are to be saved. If you wish to say, therefore, that Christ paid this ransom for each and every individual, then you must, for theological accuracy, be driven to the inaccurate conclusion, therefore all men are saved. The Bible doesn't teach such a ridiculous notion. The all, 1 Timothy, clearly, in context, refers to all kinds of people. Will you notice in verse 7 how Paul makes this point? Um, how he says he was appointed a preacher and an apostle, and then he says, I'm speaking the truth, I don't lie, a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and in truth. Paul says this ransom has not been paid for the Jews only, it's been paid for all men, Jew and Gentile alike. And so he magnifies that he's an apostle to the Gentiles in saying this. That's clearly what he means here. In John 10 verses 11 and 15, Jesus declared that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then in verse 16, he goes on to say, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Jesus said, I'm dying. I'm paying the ransom price for all my sheep. And by the way, there are more than just Jewish sheep that I'm interested in. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That is the fold to which he is now speaking. There are Gentiles who belong to my people as well. Christ thus taught that his ransoming act of sacrificial death be for the sake of all who belong to him, all of his sheep, and those sheep included Jews and Gentiles alike. In Acts 20, verse 28 then, it's not surprising that uh, the Bible speaks of all the flock, the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And so was the ransom price paid for each and every individual? No. Was it purchased for Jew and Gentile alike? Yes. Christ laid down his life and paid the price for all of his people. The only question is, are you one of them? Do you belong to his people? Do you belong to his flock? You say, well, how can I know? I mean, isn't this just an eternal mystery? Who knows for whom Christ died? Well, it isn't hard to tell. The ransom sets people free from the debt of sin and from the bondage of sin, its power. And so the question is, do you trust in the Savior Jesus Christ? Do you hear his voice and follow him? Are you one of his sheep? Do you know the liberating effect of salvation in your life? And trust in behavior, have you known the power of his Holy Spirit that has given you the strength to, to walk in godliness and to break with your old patterns of sin? If so, then you are one of those for whom he died. And you say, well, I want to be one of those people. I'm not sure just yet. Well, then trust in him. Hear his voice and follow him. Trust in his redeeming work. Learn to say with all of God's people, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And if that's your testimony, then you are free. Free at last. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we thank you for paying the highest price, we thank you that you didn't hold back, but you gave yourself and gave yourself unto death, that your own blood might be shed, and your life substituted for ours. but we recognize that the guilt of sin is ours rest upon us that we are slaves of sin apart from your holy and redeeming work in our lives. And so we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. For a love that began in eternity past and will continue into eternity future, a love that will not allow us to stay in bondage, a love that clears the debt and sets us free, a love that releases the captives from the realm of Satan and sin into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Thank you for loving us in this way. Do take our lives and turn us around. Teach us to trust you and to follow you and to know the glorious testimony that the ransom price has been paid. For we pray in your holy name, amen.